Hi everyone, welcome back to Daily Manna, where we're learning to feed upon the Word of God chapter by chapter. This is Curtis, and today we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to just start by opening up what this chapter is talking about, and that a gross sin that someone has fornicated with their stepmother has taken place in the church in Corinth. And Paul is rebuking not only that person that has committed the sin, but actually especially the ones taking the lead in the church there because they did not properly deal with the situation by removing the person from the church. And I'll touch on that in just a second. And this has to do with them feeling puffed up, meaning they looked at the situation and maybe were like, well, I'm glad that that wasn't me. You know, I would never do such a thing. But what Paul exposes is that they were not using their spirit, which he encourages them to be spiritual men in chapter two, not to be soulish men. To be a spiritual man means to be one that knows how to use his spirit. And Paul, in really rebuking them, he speaks about his use and the exercise of his spirit to such a degree that not that he was transported, but in this mysterious way, he exercised his spirit so much that even when those brothers assembled together, it was as if his spirit was there with them. So Paul is encouraging them, you need to use your spirit more. We're not men of just the soul, but when we were created, we have a spirit. And that needs to be the part that dominates us, especially as believers within the church. And so as he encourages them to do this, they need to remove this brother from the church at the time being, and not to get into it, but this one is eventually recovered as hinted at in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So what Paul is telling them is because they've been operating as soulish ones, not that they never use their spirit, but to be characteristically defined as a spiritual man means to be one that regularly exercises, uses our spirit. And Our spirit actually has three functions. It has our conscience, which enables us to know what God justifies and what he condemns. And that was especially needed in this situation. We also have the function of fellowship, that we may contact God, worship him, and commune with him. And lastly, there's the function of intuition, giving us a direct sense of God and a direct knowledge from God. So when we exercise our spirit, it doesn't mean just to speak loudly or just to try and say something or do something right. But actually, it fully relates to us being in contact, in relationship, even waiting on the Lord. And Paul, in later on in this epistle, in the next chapter, he says, the Lord is with your spirit. So what do I need to do? I need to learn to contact my spirit, to have fellowship with him, to know this intuition. Paul's desire here is to remind all the believers there that they have a spirit and as members of the church, we need to be ones that use, that know our spirit. As we do this, as we become spiritual men, as defined earlier, ones that know their spirit, not only are we delivered from sins or or gross sins in this way, but actually it becomes a preservation of the whole church. Well, how do we strengthen and nourish our spirit so that 
our conscience is functioning properly and we have good fellowship and experience the intuition with the Lord. Well, Paul mentions we need to purge out the old leaven, leaven signifying sin. We need to purge it out even a little bit so that you may be a new lump, even as you are unleavened. And the key is the Passover Christ. Christ as the Passover lamb, when the children of Israel were about to get out of Egypt, there was the Passover and they were in the house. There was the blood on the door. And what they had to do was eat the spotless, blemishless lamb. And this signifies that it was sinless. And we know that Christ is the sinless one. And so what it shows is that only the sinless one can deliver us from our sins, from these situations. So what Paul presents is, well, it's not about doing the right thing or the wrong thing. What we need to be returned to, our central vision, always needs to be centered on Christ. And so he says, the Passover Christ, he's been sacrificed. Be reminded that Christ is the only way. And so this is really our beginning. When we first believed in the Lord Jesus, we thanked him for dying on the cross for us. And we still do. Right? This is even a daily experience. But then it also says, let us keep the feast. And immediately what followed the Passover was a seven-day feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And seven signifies a complete period of time. And in the Bible, this complete period of time refers to the period of the rest of our life. So we begin by eating and enjoying Christ. And then it says, let us keep the feast. So as we keep this feast of unleavened bread meeting, as we enjoy Christ as our bread, what this does is instead of trying to not sin or not do that or try and do that, when we eat Christ, he spontaneously purges out. He purges out these sins. He deals with them. And in John chapter six, he says, I am the living bread. And he says, he who eats me shall live because of me. But what I'm referring to in 663, he says, the words which I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. So our eating of the Lord Jesus, our purging out, takes place with our dining with and on the Lord Jesus as the word. As we eat the Lord, are nourished by him, our spirit is strengthened, right? There's a real enjoyment and there's a spontaneous living out of a group of people as spiritual men that know their spirit and thus are able to express Christ in and through the church as the testimony that God desires on the earth today. Well, thank you for tuning in. And I hope that we would all continue to enjoy the Lord Jesus as our daily bread and keep the feast for the rest of our lives.